Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. And on today's show, Junbei Liu of Tribeca Alpha Plus looks at the stock she doesn't like for a change. Paul Ricard reveals four great income stocks that are really worthwhile thinking about. We explain why a small cap stock called Space Talk has seen its share price rocket higher since Friday with the company's CEO, Mark Fortunato. And Julia Lee of Berman Invest looks at what she's buying and selling right now. So without any further ado, let's go to Julia Lee and she can tell us what are her current market players. Welcome to the show, Julia. Great to be right, you, know, you know, the history has been, I've often got you to tell us what stocks you like, but tonight I'm going to get you to tell us what stocks you don't like at the moment. Stocks that were oh. <laughs> so once in, you know, in your, your, your bag of uh, collector stocks, that now you just don't think the timing's right for them or there's something wrong with the company. that we've rotated out of and a lot of them are retailers that I still like but um, we've seen the share price falling quite substantially so we're out of stocks like JB Hi-Fi, Domino's, Netcash as well as West Farmers so we really have moved away from some of those COVID winners into the COVID losers we're now in stocks like uh, Qantas, Corporate Travel to get access to that reopening theme and like most things in life, I think the share market moves in cycles and the part of the cycle that we're at at the moment is all about economic growth and recovery. So we're leveraged to things like the banks, which do well because they're a leveraged play on what's happening in the economy and the economy is doing well and is forecast to do even better, as well as things that are exposed to the reopening of the borders and uh, coming out yeah. of COVID-19. And for the Switzer report today, um, I think you surprised poor Ricard when you liked uh, Virgin Money. Yeah, I mean, Virgin Money is one that's uh, been on the radar for a little while now. But looking at the UK, and it's quite interesting what's happening over there. I mean, they've had such severe lockdowns. And my sister's over there at the moment, pregnant uh, mm. with her second child due in a couple of months. And they're, of course, rolling out vaccines. She can't take it because... Um, She's pregnant, but her husband's already had his first injection. And as they look at the reopening and coming out of lockdowns, it, of course, is about recovery and economic growth. And, of course, uh, Virgin is the old Clydesdale as well as the Virgin Money acquisition over in the UK. And as economic uh, economic activity happens once again, not only is loan growth going to be good for Virgin Money, but also the widening back of those provisions that happened in COVID-19 are going to be a key driver of earnings growth. And then adding to the mix that property prices around the globe are going nuts because of those low mm. interest rates, and it's a nice combination for Virgin Money. Okay, really interesting one. Let's go to three stocks that were mentioned in our Boom, Doom, Zoom uh, webinar the other day for, for Switzer Report subscribers. And uh, these aren't, aren't companies that you know, I know all that well. Um, Star Pharma, what do you think of Star Pharma? Yeah, I mean, Star Pharma, traditionally the revenues have come from Vivagel, whether it's Vivagel coated condoms, which kills sperm, or uh, Vivagel BV, which is for uh, bacterial vaginas. Um, but more recently, I guess it's been making news because of possible COVID-19 applications. And in particular, looking at, um, I guess, an injection of um, 
one of the treatments for COVID-19 rather than through IV because they've been able to find a water-soluble uh, version. So that's been quite exciting for Star Farmer and then of course the nasal spray as well. Of course as vaccines are rolled out the addressable market for COVID-19 continually shrinks so it's back to more of those traditional plays. But having a look at Star Farmer it doesn't look too bad here. It is speculative um, and look they, they aren't profitable as yet so if I was putting some money in I'd just be putting a little bit in the reason I'm cautious is because uh, in the last six months this really has been a COVID-19 mm. story and of course as vaccines are rolled out it is forecast that less people will be getting COVID-19 mm. and hospitalized so the addressable market for those uh, COVID-19 products of course is shrinking while they're going through the phase two trials uh, for those COVID-19 yeah. products so um I guess just a little bit of cautiousness here. Yeah. I, I guess the interesting thing about South Farm and considering where its traditional market comes from, the more we reopen and the more we start getting back to entertainment precincts, you know, when they start building up and people are going out, you know, when you think about what, what they sell, um, wouldn't it wouldn't have been <laughs> I'm wondering I know, what you're I know, but here. wouldn't it have been helped by the fact that pubs and clubs are all closed down? Like, you know, you're the one who you're the one who was talking about this, and I started thinking laterally. Obviously, there's a lot less of the kind of stuff that helps that company going on. But okay, that'll do. <laughs> We're going further. Let's go to the next one. Moving on from a tangent, one of the things that I've constantly been debating in my mind was whether there would be more babies yeah. born because of lockdown and COVID nineteen or less. But it's looking increasingly like there's being less babies born, not only here in Australia, mm. but China, as well as Europe. So I'm really cautious on uh, anything mm. baby related. In fact, I'd be completely yeah. out and, of anything yeah. baby And given what you said, Star Farmer's not creating babies, it's just stopping babies. <laughs> They're trying to prevent <laughs> That's babies. right. Let's go to Novanix now. Yeah, Novanix is an interesting one because we know that um, battery materials have been the flavor yeah. of the year. And Novanix is no different. The share prices are very strongly over the last 52 weeks, even though over the last couple of months we've seen a, a pullback. And what Novanix looks at, at is graphite. And when you look at the graphite market, um, I guess you can separate it into things like uh, the size of the flake or the graphite flake um, together with the carbon content. And generally, the larger the flake, the more valuable it is and the more applications there is. And usually when you're looking at it for lithium, batteries, you want to see graphite flakes, um, which is higher quality. But I think the difference with Novanix is that it has um, it has the technology to uh, convert, I guess, um, this is all about synthetic graphite uh, production, because not only can you mine uh, graphite, which is used in batteries, you can also turn, um, turn I guess, the lower quality uh, graphite into the higher quality through um, through mm. technology. The only downside to that is that it has been quite expensive, um, at times 10 times the cost of just mining it. Um, but I guess that's one of the attractiveness, uh, that's one of the attractive points for Novanix that it does have access to the synthetic graphite uh, technology. 
Look, this is one that's unproven, so it's still a quite early stage. It does look quite mm. interesting, so I would rate it as a speculative buy if you wanted to put a little bit of money in. But I'd also put a bit of money in some of the other more established players in terms of the graphite market, and that is Sierra as well as Talga Resources. So Sierra is over in Mozambique and Talga is in Sweden uh, with its deposits. So maybe spreading some of that money and okay. love around in terms of some of those battery materials in the area. Good of observation. Finally, bet makers, BET. Yeah, um, bet makers, instead of being uh, a technology play where um, people can go and place wagering bets, um, they're actually the technology behind it and the platform. So uh, companies can either white, white label their platform or they provide the analytics and the back part of things. Um, the big thing for bet makers is really the US market, which is much larger than the Australian market. And over in the US, there are some counties where it's still illegal to do fixed priced odds. And they're trying to sort of change that, especially in New Jersey, which I think is the next place where they're trying to get uh, fixed uh, odds okayed. Um, and of course, that's a massive market for bet makers. This once again is speculative, but I like this because we have seen quite a lot of corporate area in this space, whether it's with Tabcorp, whether even it's with News Corp's um, betting arm. I think it's called Newsbet over at Foxbet, maybe yeah. over in the US, which is also to move into Australia. So look, this is an area with a lot of corporate activity, so potential takeover activity down the track here. Um, so Betmakers, once again, speculative, but I think this one looks the most interesting out of the three at this and point. Just before we go, Julia, you're the one who brought up Foxbet, and there was a story around last week that possibly Lachlan Murdoch, and I presume through the Foxbet, uh, were looking at um, Tabcorp as a possible uh, takeover. Have you um, had any thoughts about Tabcorp since there's been a few changes there? Yeah, I mean, Tabcorp's assets are in focus at the moment because there are a number of parties circling. Mm. So it's quite interesting seeing what's happening on the Australian market at the moment because, of course, Crown also mm. received a potential takeover offer today as well. So that wagering side of things um, and the betting side of things, definitely there are things on the move at the moment and quite a few international parties are looking into some of the Australian assets, which I think is quite interesting. And for investors, this is not only interesting from a potential takeover point of view, but a valuation point of view. Usually when you see a takeover of an asset, it's around about a 30% premium to get that control over the company. And of course, that has implications for other peers in that asset class. So as an analyst, you usually see those takeovers and that gives you an excuse to revalue some of the peers in that space as well. So that corporate activity is generally a positive for the whole sector and not just the company that's being taken over. Julia, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, 
or a listed investment company, WQG. That was Julie Lee. And before we go to June Bay Lou, let me just uh, remind you that on Thursdays, we're now doing an investing show. So you've got us on Monday, as well as on Thursday, where we tend to go looking for CEOs of big companies and fund managers that you might not have uh, heard from uh, before. And we're going to be looking for the companies that really look like good value going forward. Well, joining me now is June Bailu from our Tribeca Alpha Fund. How are you, June Bailu? I'm fantastic. How are you? Very good, very That's good. Cute. Now, just to respond to a smart Alec viewer <laughs> who, who christened you June Bailu because he says you're always bringing up stocks that we should buy. And by the way, all our uh, uh, viewers love the fact that you give us stocks you can buy. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe if just for a change, it'd be interesting to see stocks that you had previously liked and no longer like. And I hope, hope A2 Milk is not one of them because <laughs> I like A2 Milk. You have historically liked A2 Milk and they've been in trouble. So before we go into ones that maybe you no longer like, uh, what, what do you think is going on with A2 Milk? Oh, A2, look, we, we talked about it before. No, mm. I know I do like this one. <laughs> it's not in the not likes list. Uh, okay. Look, it's been challenging because of uh, pantry stock in China and uh, here meant, has meant that things uh, were very good a year ago and now they have to cycle some of those numbers and thinking things are looking a little bit tough because yeah. people no longer, well, the shops are open, especially in China and people can go to shops and buy things. Mm. Uh, so there's a, this huge unwind of, um, you know, the stock that, Mm. inventory that people already build up um, and secondly is because of the borders are closed so a lot of those Daigo channel has been disrupted yep. so people just simply can't buy those infant formulas from here and ship it to China so yep. that has created a lot of issues so um, earning has been downgraded many times um, in the last or uh, well, in the last six months pretty mm. much simply because of this sudden shut off of the one distribution channel which has been quite meaningful for the business yep. um, you know nothing wrong with the longer term business um, but shorter term the earning just it's looking a little bit tough yep. one more downgrade and my view is that when that downgrade comes share price is not going to fall any further because it is trading at that deep discount to mm. what it really is worth so take a 12-month view it'll be much higher than yeah, what it and is the thing today is, a lot of people when they talk about investing in companies they say look for the best of breed in that sector mm. and I don't think there's any company out there better than A2 Milk when it comes to baby formula and the stuff that's selling in the China. Exactly, the brand, you stick to the brand. Mm. Brands are very difficult to build in today's world because um, mm. it's so competitive, especially brand that um, Asian consumer, they resonate. Yeah. We talked to the Treasury Wine before, yeah. you know, it is a brand that is difficult to build and it took years to build that. Uh, and once that clicks, um, it just represents significant amount of value. Mm. Uh, you know when things improve, there will be a pull through because, you know, consumers still looking for those premium labels. Okay, so let's go to the stocks that once upon a time you liked and you no longer like and why? Look, um, <laughs> uh, given we're actually a longshore manager, so we actually <laughs> do have a lot of stocks we don't like. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, but look, you know, I think some of the stocks that were previously favourite. One example will be CSL. Mm. We love this company and mm. we support it for many years. Um, it just right now we have taken profit because yeah. um, you know, look, the next twelve months is looking pretty tough for this company in terms mm. of earnings. Um, if you're a long-term investor, um, you know, retail investor, you'd buy it and hold a few years, and share price will be fine. 
Yeah. But my view is that because I'm a professional investor, yeah. I benchmark myself. I need to perform better than the ASX in the 200. Short term too. It, it, yeah, mm. at any point in time, and we have done so very well. Mm. So, um, so for me, I'm much rather to put that money into something else. Maybe mm. the Treasury Y. Maybe you know, um, Crown has done very well for us today, and mm. or Star and the like. So you know, it's it's just uh, where I put my uh, capital, where I can generate pretty good return yeah. in the next 12 months. And a lot of people forget this mm. that. Your competitive advantage as a long-term investor is mm. that you can buy the stuff that you're dumping mm. at good prices because mm. you can afford to wait. Mm. Someone like you or Julia or any other fund manager that I talk to, mm. they have to get right at least in the short term when they present their results quarterly or whatever. Mm, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. So, as a retail investor, you'll be buying and put it under your, you know, your your pillow, and yeah. uh, and one day share price in, in two years, share price will be much higher. Mm. Another one actually represent a bit of opportunity. Um, you know, we took profit maybe um, six, seven months ago. Uh, is ResMed, and you know, again in the healthcare space, which at the moment is a bit out of favour. Mm. Um, you know, it's actually looking very interesting. This is one company that, um, you know, the the sleep business where they provide the ventilators yeah. and uh, the sleep business have been impacted by COVID. But because so much ventilator was sold, um, so the earning actually grew during COVID. But then everyone see this company as a COVID beneficiary. So now being sold off because when things get better, mm. there won't be as much um, ventilator required. But don't mm. forget, this company's sleep business um, for sleep apnea has been impacted during COVID. So it's actually going to grow throughout, even in that recovery phase. Mm. So, um, so it's this, actually this is really a, cheap. a buy stock, as the, opposed to a sell stock. Uh, so this is what we at the moment we don't have it because yeah. we took. Profit maybe six seven months ago, yeah. but it's come off so much that makes you see relative value. Yep. So as a long term investor, you'll be putting money. So it was one you didn't like for a while, but you're starting. <laughs> now it's looking interesting. To, to, to I'm sorry, I'm presenting it. another buy idea, you but can't help uh, it. So, but look, there, there's. Uh, but for me, um, in this market, um, the things that you will be taking um, some profit in were, of course, some of those uh, COVID winners. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you can't help, but but one interesting thing is, and a lot of people were suggesting. Okay, JD mm. Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman have done so well. They must come off the boil, but they've gone for a nice ride, particularly since the the job number last week. Is that part of the reason why? Both those stocks did well last week? Yeah, I think it's part of the reason, but it surprised me also. Mm. JB Hi-Fi almost back to all-time high. I know. And, uh, and it certainly seems like, um, look, earning will look pretty tough, and mm. these companies will struggle a little bit. Same as Coles and Woolworth, right? Yeah. Uh, earning next 12 months will struggle because the like-for-like -like growth will be negative. Um, it did so well during the lockdown. Yeah. yeah, and the supermarkets, some of the co uh, comparable, so like-for-like -like number mm. now is already in the double-digit negative yeah. because toilet paper, people started buying toilet paper about now, last year. Mm. So, you know, they saw the first wave of increase. So now that they're going to cycle that, and take a two year view, things will be fine. It's just that in the next 12 months, earnings are going to be quite negative. Is there a tech stock that you've um, fallen out of love with? Because tech stocks generally, particularly in America, mm. have been clobbered. Yeah, so look, I. I, I'm always of a view that um, I don't like to, um, you know, ch uh, chase the sentiment, market sentiment. Mm. Everyone's selling tech stock and you sell it, and then mm. everyone buying value stock, you buy. I always believe in you can always buy things, find things that make money, um, uh, whichever mm. um, space of the market. And yeah. I always constantly try to pick up those oversold businesses, yeah. tech companies, especially. These are very high quality businesses. Mm. Um, if they've been sold off so significantly, uh, time to get back in. You know, mm. one of the name is um, Zero. I've gone back in. Because I, my view is that this is very high quality companies. Um, you know, in, in five years, it will be so much higher than some of those value names um, and other tech names. Well, the tech names we've fallen 
out of love a little bit will be the ones that sort of struggle in terms of earnings. It's always come down to the earnings. Mm. Um, you know, Appen is the one we find a little bit challenging mm. um, just because of the, the result have uh, have shown some weaknesses in terms of earnings, not just COVID. Mm. Um, you know, there was a couple of reports that came out, talked to potentially this whole space um, uh, uh, is becoming a bit more competitive. Yeah, AI space. AI space has mm. become a bit more competitive. And yeah. so we kind of just need a bit more evidence of, um, you know, whether the it's a short term disruption or whether it's a longer term yeah. structural issue. So this is something that we, um, you know, sort of just a bit cautious on. So you used to like it, a bit of a question mark over Appen now, mm. um, but for, as its price falls, it has been fairly weak, do you, do you suspect it's going to be a, a reasonable in the long term or it's going to be challenged in both the short and the long term? Look, I think it's about mm. the next couple of results. Mm. You need to see what's happening. Be yeah, because mm. right now you can say it could be just COVID impacting everything. Yeah. And when COVID come back, maybe you'll be okay. And yeah. then they change the thesis. The thesis should be long-term structurally, it's not challenged. Mm. Then it's fine. You will be buying this stock. The jury is out on this. Yeah, that's right. So we're not sure yet. So okay. we have to see. Any other ones that you've fallen out of love with? <laughs> I think I just love to buy companies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're finding it very hard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very challenging. Uh, what, what, is the, what is the stock you've most shorted? In your, in, in your oh, okay. Short? Um, I think I try not to talk about my most shorted stocks. Um, it you're, does, very, uh, you're so kind. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because the company does, don't, don't feel too happy with, uh, oh. so, with so us. So you don't have to reveal what you're shorting. Yeah, sure. You don't. Uh, no, we don't normally reveal the shorts. Okay. Um, uh, we have spoke about it publicly a few times, mm. and then we uh, we find it's um, it does damage the relationship with the company. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. uh, All right. So w one one last stock you're buying before we go. I know it's impossible to, make <laughs> to be an aggressive seller. So one last stock before you go. Okay. So um, given this topical, um, I will be talking about um, the crown today. Yeah. Um, I really think it's um, if you hold crown, you don't want to sell it. Mm. Not yet. Mm. Um, share price up 20%, um, but I think there's a lot more to go. Mm. Um, I think, you know. When the, the Royal Commission came, a lot of people will have thought, well, the Royal Commission is going to be bad for the share price. Mm. But this takeover, it looks, do you think it looks quite convincing? It looks very convincing. Yeah. Um, whether it's a whole business or a parcel business, they take over. Um, remember, um, you know, a few years ago, um, you know, previous bid was at 1450. Mm. Um, and uh, obviously now the price is come back always before COVID and the mm. like, um, you know, this, this this is a business that has hard assets, mm. hard real estate assets. Mm. Um, you know, all these premium location in Sydney and around the around Australia mm. is incredibly valuable. Um, and, um, you know, yes, the license and everything with changes in management, or if cha there's changes in control and like, mm. it might actually be, um, you know, good for, um, you know, for it to actually improve on this transparency mm. and everything else. Yeah. So, you know, on mm. that basis, I see uh, more value absolutely for this one um, and on that basis you know if you look at stars and everything else yeah, actually one of those oh, the whole sector looks very very cheap um, as a reopening yeah, play thank you it's Jimbo Lu from Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund Well, joining me now is Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. Paul, how are you going? Good, thank you, Peter. So today he's going to talk to us about four income stocks. And what's the characteristic of an income stock, Paul? Well, I think an income stock, Peter, is something that's pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. I know that sounds boring, folks, but, yeah. but what I want is a company that I know is pretty consistent. It's got good, reliable earnings and has a reasonably high certainty that it can deliver uh, for you as a shareholder. Yeah. 
Now, typically that means there's probably also not a lot of price volatility. You don't want to see your capital go down. No. And you, and you probably don't expect a lot of, of capital appreciation either. So mm. that's why I use the word boring up front. Mm. Pretty steady, pretty even, a little bit of price risk, but mainly I wanted to make sure that I'm going to get the income. All right, one interesting question I think I should ask you is, before you've selected, do you suspect there is a bit of a, a price upside? Because a lot of the income stocks have been ignored because dividends have been pretty crappy since the coronavirus. There's particular, there's certainly is price upside if they're able to, to increase their dividend from year to year. And yeah. then ultimately that's what a you know, share price is about. It's really about that prospect of higher earnings. So yep. and, and has that translates back to earnings for you as a shareholder. So if they are increasing it, certainly there should be some capital gain over time. Yeah. But uh, some of these companies are look more on the sort of the trust side. In other words, they own other assets, and, and the income increases are often fairly small. So, look, I'll, I'll go with the flow on this one, Peter. But I okay. would prefer to uh, get the certainty of the income and not have too much downside. Okay. I should point out that I've excluded all the major banks in this exercise yeah. and a lot of the resource companies because the resource companies at the moment are paying super Fantastic dividends. dividends. But uh, we know that's not going to last for, for a day. Yeah, and and you know? working out when it stops is going to be very interesting. That's, that's the really hard part. And if you're any smarter than anyone else, I can tell you the market ain't any good at predicting commodity prices. No? So um, yeah, no. I prefer to leave that to others or leave that to the market. And I think with resource companies, you're getting some great dividends on your BHPs and Rios and Fortescues. But it doesn't but, always happen. But you can't bank on them, right? No. You can't, and good line, Paul. Yeah, that also excludes the banks. <laughs> Let's go to your first one, Paul. Okay, so the first one is Charter Hall uh, Long Whale REIT. So yeah. it's called Long Whale. Whale means W-A-L-E is Weighted Average Lease Expired. In other words, what it's doing, Peter, it's investing in uh, in, in properties that, and it gets a very long-term lease. Typically, tip, yeah, yeah, typically between 10 and 20 years. So the average um, lease expiry in the Charter Hall uh, Long Whale REIT is, is about 12 years. Mm. Uh, sitting up very high. A lot of the properties are things like convenience uh, stores, uh, petrol retailers, um, invest in things like Telstra. Um, yeah, big companies. Phone exchanges, logistics. It's got a, quite a, a varied portfolio, about 470 assets. It's about a $4.5 billion REIT. Uh, it's done really well in the virus. It's got, it got as you, as a, if you're looking at a chart, you'll see when it peaked in sort of about uh, June, July last year, a lot of virus scare. Mm. This was seen as a very defensive play. It's now back at about $4.70 where it spent the last sort of four or five months. I think it's good value, Peter. At that level, you can look forward to a yield, this is unfranked, of about 6%. Yeah, pretty right? cool. And they've, they've committed to that for in terms of the distribution for the next 12 months. Mm. Uh, not a lot of downside. I mean, that, like all property trusts, quite a lot of debt. And of course, if interest rates uh, go up, that can be a bit of a negative because people will start being worrying about either they'll see them as a bond proxy mm. or they'll be worried about when they come to refinance their debt. But the gearing's below 40%. Uh, I think they're a pretty good operator. I think they've got some great assets. Just taken on the um, the, uh, the 50% interest on the, in the flagship uh, David Jones um, retail store in Sydney, the, the Elizabeth Street store at a 20-year lease where the tenant's liable for most of the outgoings and all the, the maintenance and so mm. forth. Mm. So, I mean, look, I, th I think they're a pretty well-run one group and, um, and that distribution is, is pretty guaranteed. Yeah, if David Jones goes, that store will be the last one to close, I'd Well, say. I think, you know, there's a lot of an argument that David Jones bought it mainly for the property asset as opposed <laughs> to the retailing business, but they're locked into a 20-year lease, so uh, I think that looks uh, pretty good. Let's go to the next one, Paul. Yeah, the 
next company I've got, Peter, is, is APA, which of course is, is the gas pipeline business. Mm. This has had an interesting little story recently. In fact, it came off uh, in the first part of the year. Got down to work about $9. I can't work out why it's got, mm. got down to $9. Because it rebounded quickly and under it, coronavirus, it, it's, didn't it? It's rebounded quickly back over 10 in the last couple of months. Mm. Um, and almost, it, there's nothing really changed with this business because about 90% of its income is locked in. It, it's basically, you know, it owns the pipes. Uh, that transport the gas around Australia, particularly mm. in, in Queensland and in WA. Yeah. That's very regulated. A lot of its revenue is regulated, very long-term um, leases again. Mm. And so essentially, you know, most of its revenue is locked in for the year, in fact, for many years in advance. Um, so a bit surprising to see it and come off a little bit. And gas is kind of a popular energy as opposed to coal. Look, there's it? a little bit of pricing pressure there too, and, and it has the challenge of, how to, of, of growth. Is one of its uh, how does it keep growing? Because mm. you just uh, there's the, the demand for gas and supply is roughly balanced, so it needs to actually get and, it, and demand came off a little bit during the, the COVID crisis. So mm. it needs to actually work out a way to grow. But it has forecast a distribution this year of 51 cents. Uh, on a $10 share price, that's about a 5.1% yield. Mm. Um, it's unfranked, but there will be a little bit of franking there. Mm. Uh, I would say this is an incredibly reliable, steady company. It really shouldn't even have almost no volatility in price, I so, think. So far, in your first two stocks, we're getting about 5.5%. Uh, yeah, 5.5 on average. That's unfranked, so, yeah. we'll, but yeah. the, that's where the high yields are. Yeah. And, and so in those... The, the reason that both those companies are unfranked is that they borrow money, yeah. right? And so essentially they're buying assets and they're, and they're managing tax. those assets. And of course, the interest costs largely, you know, the deduction they get for the interest largely off offsets the tax yeah. they pay. And that's why they can't so frank the So if the company's not paying tax to the Australian Treasury, you don't get franking You credit. don't get franking credits, which, you know, is, is, uh, is fair enough, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's one of the great things about paying company tax is you do get franking credits, yeah, right? So exactly. let's not begrudge those companies that are paying tax. Okay, let's go to the third stock, Paul. Yeah, so let's go now, now go to some taxpayers. So the mm. third stock mm. is, is, again, very boring, health insurance. Mm. This is not, it's, 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 in the, it's, a, it's not an, exposed to the health market as per se. This is an insurance business, yeah. right? So it's not a healthcare stock. This is actually classified as a financial yeah. stock in, in the weightings. Uh, Medibank Private uh, originally floated at 245. It's one of those stocks where I reckon you buy it at about, you know, under $3 it's worth buying and above $3 it's worth selling, basically. Yeah. Okay. If I showed you the charts since it's listed, Peter, that will pretty well convince you of that, right? There, isn't there, there yeah. is a bit of a pattern. So it's around about $2.90. Um, the CEO had a fantastic team under, under Craig Drummond. Unfortunately, he's re retiring yeah. at the end of June. But one of the things, Medibank in a, in a field of, there are 30 health or 35 health insurers in Australia. Medibank is the largest with about a 27, 28% market share. It's increasing the share. And it's actually been able to grow market share. It has two brands, it has the traditional Medibank brand, we all know, which is the premium brand. It also aims, so it also owns the AHM brand. Now, most of the share had been going in that, but for the first time, the premium brand has actually increased customers over the mm. last six months. And so the team is actually, when you're the number one in the market, you've got 30 competitors, it's damn hard to grow share, yeah, right? Without discounting prices, and it hasn't been doing that. So uh, it's done really well. Uh, it's, um, it's yielding just over 4%, Peter. You can bank that in. Uh, 
Yeah, plus it's fully franked, so that's back up to sort of the five, five and a half percent unfranked. Um, look, a really solid company. I reckon he's got a, he's created a pretty good leadership team. The challenge for Medibank is what happens when when Craig yeah. goes. And those three stocks now, you're still at five point five percent. Still point five percent. That and that's and that's an unfranked better basis. Than term so deposits, better than term deposits. So I, I like Medibank for that than reason. Term yeah. deposits, but much better return. Let's get your fourth one. Yeah. Look, the final one come as a surprise to many people. Telstra. Mm. Uh, a few people actually getting a little bullish on Telstra. Good, because we bought and recommended it cheap. I'm getting a more bullish on Telstra for a couple of reasons. One, I think that the um, in the mobiles market, which is the main part of its business, uh, a lot of the pressure's come out of that since the the, the merger between uh, Vodafone and Optus. Mm. And that seems to be pricing seems to be becoming a bit more rational. Mm. Uh, and good old and, oligopoly, we're all three. A good old well. oligopoly, where all th- all three can do well, and that's <laughs> what, that's, that's what sh- I think shareholders hope for. Yes. Secondly, there's some upside potentially because Telstra is spinning off some of its assets, so we're going to have the potentially the demerger of the towers business mm. this year, and some other infrastructure business. And, and I think there's probably going to be value in those sort of businesses for shareholders. For shareholders. Mm. So look, it's found a bit of a base around three dollars. It's now around about three twenty-five. I don't think this is going to set the world on, uh, on fire, but I think you could see this up between the 350 to 375 marks. Yeah. So I think there's a bit of upside. On the dividend side, uh, I think 16 cents this year is, is, is now locked in. Yeah. Uh, there, was, there have been fears about how they would continue that sort of dividend in the post-NBN uh, world. That's when it stops getting a lot of these one-off payments. Every time a customer was moved off the Telstra uh, wholesale broadband or telephony onto the NBN backbone, which we've now all moved, Telstra was receiving a one-off payment. Mm. And that's helped keep the dividend higher than it otherwise would have been at 16 cents. And so the challenge for Telstra has been how to grow earnings, cut costs, mm. to actually replace this NBN one-off revenue. Most of that seems behind it. They've gone through a fairly aggressive productivity and, and cost-saving program. There's actually a little bit of revenue growth almost starting to appear. Mm. And I think there's more certainty around the dividend in future years. So at 16 cents, yeah, you know, Telstra's yielding about 5% fully franked mm. at $3.25. That's not too bad. So it, it creeps up towards 65 it, it creeps up back up towards that overall, that 6%. So therefore, mm. stocks, no banks, no, no, uh, no miners in that group, mm. quite diversified. I don't think there's that much downside risk. That's to say that, you know, we've seen what happens in, you know, last March. Yes. You know, things everything go goes wrong. down when things, when things yeah. go wrong. Uh, no shares immune, and even, you know, uh, that doesn't mean that an individual company mm. can't lose their CEO or have a big accident or yeah. get caught in some sort of uh, thing they didn't expect. So there's always risk, yeah. um, but I think risk is, is manageable, yeah. uh, and I think there's a reasonable certainty about income there. Okay, there's four good income-paying stocks. Let's hope you're right, Paul. I suspect you are. That's Paul Rickard from the Switch Report. Well, I'm catching up with the CEO of Space Talk, uh, Mark Fortunato. Uh, thanks for coming to the program, Mark. Peter, thank you for having me. Now, you've had a couple of good days on the stock market uh, since uh, an announcement on Friday. So what, why don't you tell us, A, what the company does, first of all, and B, then what the announcement was. Sure. Uh, well, Space Talk is a developer of a kid's all-in-one smartwatch, phone and GPS device. So it's a new type of mobile phone or smartphone specifically designed for kids between the ages of five and 12. And it allows kids um, to 
uh, you know, access to the digital world and stay connected to their parents and parents to stay connected with their kids, keep them safe, but in a, in a very responsible manner. So the device doesn't have any access to social media, YouTube, um, Facebook, those type of, type of nasty things. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a very safe, responsible device to keep the kids safe. And it's really their entree into the digital world. So they're ready, you know, when they turn 12 or 13 to for a smartphone. So what age kids are you targeting? Between the ages of five and 12. Okay. And so this is uh, a f actual phone? Yes, it's a smartphone on a watch. Yeah. It's a 4G smartphone yeah. on a watch. Yeah. It makes and receives phone calls, text messages. It has a GPS device, step counter, all of the normal things that you'd find in a smartphone. Okay, so what has excited the market? What was announced on Friday? And now I was going to interview you beforehand, but because of the announcement to the ASX, you had to hold it back, and I understand that. It does mean that my followers missed out two days of a, sh a rising share price. So even though I like you, I hate you as well. Um, <laughs> all right, Mark, so tell us, what was the announcement? Well, the announcement was that uh, twofold. First of all, that Telstra, it will be ranging space talk in all of its shops and, uh, and online as well. Yeah. Um, and that'll commence in April. Um, and then a little bit later on in the year, they actually, uh, they're developing a, a special SIM plan for space talk so that uh, they'll be able to sell it uh, on a plan, a monthly plan. Okay, now um, my colleague will eventually cut into this interview um, a chart showing what's happened to your share price over time. And you and I spoke two or three years ago, I think when you first developed this watch, and the market really got excited about it and did very well, and then it came off the boil. So can you tell us what, why the market got excited and why the market then um, got less excited over time? Sure, Peter. Um, well, I think the, uh, the market just really just got ahead of itself. Um, it takes time um, for the awareness to, uh, to spread, uh, for the uh, word of mouth effect to, to get out there. I mean, the company's recording quarter on quarter growth now for many years. Um, and I think the market just was expecting it to boom, you know, sales to boom within a few months. And it's just not the case. Mm. To give you an example, um, we've been working with Telstra for many, many, many months. Um, just the testing process alone takes about six months. Um, so these things take time. Campaigns get off the you know, to get off the ground take time, but it's very much heading in the right direction. Um, you know, Peter, you know, for, for our existing retailers, companies like JB Hi-Fi, Officeworks, Harvey Norman, we already represent a very significant part of their wearable business. You know, it's approaching 5%, which is a huge number um, when we're up against you know, a lot of other well-established big brands like Apple. So this is a new category that's taking off, it's growing very quickly, but to get to the scale that I think the market was looking for, it's just gonna take a little bit more time, but we'll get there. How significant is Telstra added to the current group of retailers that stock your watch? Well, it is most significant. Um, Telstra is the country's number one mobile network operator. Um, the, it's known for its quality, reliability, and Telstra doesn't make decisions to range new products lightly. They did a lot of their own homework. They could see what was happening with the likes of JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, Officeworks, and the others, and uh, and they you know, studied the market and they could see there's this new category emerging 
of selling responsibly smartphones to young kids between the ages of five and 12, but on a watch. And they're not selling devices like this at the moment. So what's happening, it's opening up a new market for them. Um, they're bringing in new business that's not cannibalizing any of their existing business. And then when the child reaches the age of 12 or thereabouts when they go to high school, they just account manage them into a fully blown smartphone. Yeah, and I guess what, what the group of people who you're trying to target are those parents who really don't want their kids to have a, a, an iPhone or a smartphone because they're too young and the, and the kind of potential dangers there would worry them. But this is like an alternative to that. Well, I think most parents would prefer to keep their young kids away from the open internet, uh, social media, YouTube, and all those things. I mean, it's a dangerous place. Those apps are designed to be highly addictive. And it's like, you know, do we put our young kids um, in front of a poker machine? Of course we don't. You know, and it's the same type of effect that uh, you know, these dangerous apps have on young kids. So this teaches and enables kids to use technology like this reliably, um, responsibly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, responsibly. Um, parents can keep their kids safe. Um, and prepares them for the digital world. Okay, so what are you selling now and, and what will you be telling your shareholders you're hoping to sell given this Telstra um, innovation? Well, we're selling, we uh, closed the, uh, uh, the half year on, uh, on revenue of 8.4 million. Um, and uh, for the whole previous year before that, we did 10 and a half million. So we're gonna exceed our full year numbers uh, quite comfortably. Mm. Um, the extra business that Telstra brings in, we won't know exactly uh, for some time. Look, Telstra's got 18 million mobile subscribers, uh, mobile services. It's a huge number. You know, we only have to get a very small percentage of that to have a very meaningful effect on our business. But look, we got to get it out there, get into the stores. Telstra are making a very, very strong commitment um, to uh, to the launch. You know, they put range gear in every store. There'll be inventory display stock in every store. Um, they're training what's called 100 of their uh, VIP promoters that will be going out to the company and to the, their large clients explaining what um, Space Talk is all about. So they're getting really behind it. Um, so the, the opportunity is enormous. Mark Fortunato, CEO of Space Talk, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter, for having me on the show. Let me remind you before we go, we're also doing an investing show on Thursdays. Don't forget, Thursdays for Switzer Investing. I hope I see you there.